Pam Ochoa. I have a question for you today. My question, you know what's actually, before I even do that, I want to say how it feels weird doing this because we did so many episodes over Thanksgiving, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so we're kind of, we're in a different rhythm. I feel like we podcasted so much, but for people that listen on the free feeds and not on the Patreon, they weren't really a part of that. So it's just been kind of normal for them. But you and I have been podcasting machines. Oh, um, yeah. For a, a variety of things. But anyway, mm-hmm. so it feels good to kind of just be back into mm-hmm. the swing of things. But my question for you is where do stories come from? From your heart. <laughs> they come from your heart. Don't they? They come from your experiences. They come from things that mean something to you. They come from your own memories. They're interesting, they, right? They are. Yeah. I mean, you have like, like for instance, like I'm sure we're going to talk about this, but like mm-hmm. the hero's journey. I have sat yeah. into so many PDs where we talk about analyzing the hero's journey. I've read Hero of a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell, which if anyone is interested in this stuff, actually, I kind of want to reread it again. I haven't read it in a long time. But it's about how, like, all of the great kind of religions slash myths, et cetera, kind of have this hero's journey innate in there, right? We know Mm -hmm. the hero's journeys in Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and, you know, all of the great stories down to Hallmark movies that you're watching with your mom, right? My question is, where is it it coming from, though? Why do we, why are certain narratives, why is a call to adventure such a significant thing? Why are these archetypes with us? I need you to channel your inner Jungian and tell me why. Well, I mean, scientifically, our brains are wired according to, um, I think his name is uh, Kendall Haven. I think that's his name. Yeah, Kendall Haven. And anyway, he did, he wrote some things about, he studies the brain. And he's a writer and he is a neurologist. And he said that our brains are actually mapped for story. And we visualize story. But when you go all the way back to history, Homer, old ancient tribes of Africa and other places, um, Asia, things like that, you you see that story or their history is spoken, right? So in order to learn and remember and know what to do, they, they did it through story, you know, AKA, you know, Homer and what he, you know, what he did, like in the Iliad and all of that. But Which I think, is wild that we found Troy through that. Like yeah. Like are you're place. talking about archaeological. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because it was, it was accurate. It was, that's why, that's why the Atlantis mm-hmm. stuff is still around is because Plato described Plato it. Plato talked about it. But it was mm-hmm. kind of like a second hand. He was like, Hey, someone told me about this. Right. And for, I mean, it's, I mean, it's kind of one of those things where like it probably existed in some form. Is it the fantastical thing that people imagine today? Probably not. But did a place like that probably exist where they were like a technologically advanced civilization? I mean, Odds are, yeah, but it existed through these stories. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, uh, talking about ancient civilizations, I mean, when you're looking at how many civilizations are no longer here, 
I mean, what kind of stories and what kind of things that they have? And I mean, your story is your identity. I mean, it is who you are inside. That's why it comes from your heart, comes from your brain, comes from your imagination. But it's your identity. And uh, I, I had a, I had an opportunity today to, um, well, I I, mean, I actually got to talk to a nurse because I'm about to go in, into the hospital for uh, just a minor surgery. But the whole thing is. I, you know, you have to talk to people to get ready. And so she was, she liked to talk. And and so she was asking me questions about me and I, I don't know, health questions, but it was interesting because today we ended up, I think, I hope I didn't get her in trouble, but she ended up talking to me. For, for, I mean, we could have podcasted. I mean, it was, it was like an hour or so, but what was happening, she was like, she found out that my husband had passed away because, you know, they ask you, do you live by yourself? Do blah, blah, blah. You know, are you married? Are you not? And so when I told her I was widowed and I live by myself, that kind of got her curious as to, she wanted to know what happened. And so I, I shared with her what happened. Well, then that led to her telling me her story about her father and how much she misses him. And so we just talked about our stories. And then at the end, it was interesting because she goes, Thank you for sharing with me your story. It has really uplifted me because I know that we can make it through these things. And so I think that's what story is about. It's the way we connect to each other. And so today I got to share with a stranger uh, my story. And what's interesting is she goes, you know what? I think I'm going to come and visit you. So I'm going to keep up with your room and I'm going to make sure when you get out, I'm going to come and I'm going to come by and say hello and make sure you're okay. So it's through that connection now. I've got somebody at the hospital that's going to advocate for me, really, truly. And it's because I shared my story. And in turn, I allowed for her to share her story. And I think I think that's just how we we really connect to one another. I mean, that's why people love to sit and read books. I mean, people are telling their stories. Now, their story, I also, my mentor, um, uh, teacher, uh, Dr. Carol, right? You know, Dr. Carol was, uh, she's still here, but I got to sit at her. I mean, like I, I was at the Abydos conference this weekend and I got to sit right there where she was. I mean, like she was hanging on right in front of me because I sat right in front because I wanted to sit and listen. And she is just, she's now uh, older, not quite sure I think she's in her upper 80s. But anyway, the whole point is she's pretty feeble. And uh, but she's like, well, what do you do when you're not? And she goes, what do I know best? I know how to write my story. And she had some tragic things that happened. And she said, I couldn't face those tragic things because when you get to a certain age, you start being the only one left in your family if you're still alive. And so that's where I think she is. She's got family members, but the ones that she's closest to are you know, just like life, you know, that happens. And so what do you do? You're left with your stories. You're left with your memories. And so she's writing and she has now written. She goes, well, what do I do? I know how to write. So I'm going to sit and write. And so she sits and writes every day. It's how she's not alone, but she's writing. And she has now written, she's now on her, I think her fifth book. And she's written a series and it's a murder series. It's a, it's like, she's got a sleuth auntie that's actually, and 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 they're solving murder mysteries. But this all happened because of some tragic things that happened to some family members in her. And it was her way of dealing with the pain. So she dealt with it through fiction. So she she usually writes textbooks and 
you know, professional literature. So this was her first time to really try fiction. So she's, uh, so I ended up purchasing her books and I'm going to start, I'm going to read. Well, I've been reading, I started, I've already read the first one. So I'm going to be reading the next ones, but she's now on her fifth book. She says she writes every day. And so I got to sit and listen to, to her uh, talk about how she came about these ideas and what her writing uh, method was. And so it's pretty cool. So I got to do that this week. And so what's on my mind, and you mentioned it story, so I'm I'm all primed, ready to go, because a lot of it was about story. But I think we probably need to introduce who we are. What yeah, I know. I was like, God, there's so many things to do, but we got to jump into the <laughs> intro first. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Pamela Trump, Jacob Chastain. We're two educators down in the state of Texas doing what we love, talking about reading, right? Reading and writing workshop and so much more. I almost said that with one breath, but I, I ran out right at the end, out of practice. Um, this is Craft and Draft, you guys. We come in here, we talk about our journal system, which we just re-released uh, a piece of that tutorial. So if that's something you're interested in, dive into our Patreon. There's tons of extra stuff over there uh, where we dive into what to do. There's tons of people over there that have shown us their different craft books. We love hearing about how craft books and draft books are or affecting your students, affecting your class, little tweaks that you guys are doing. So if you want to do that, if you want to learn more, if you want extra PD at this podcast, if you're like, man, this is so good. I want more of these conversations. I want more videos, presentations, etc. Jump over there, patreon.com slash craft and draft. Just like Alicia, Brandy, Leah, Mark, Amy, Sarah, Rebecca, Courtney, Carol, Nalissa, Destiny, Lori, Natalie, Susan, Tracy, Andrea, Hannah, Lori, Jen, Matt, Amanda, and Donna all have go over there they get bonus content bonus podcasts no one hears and so much more if you can't do that don't worry subscribe to the podcast you don't miss anything we drop an episode pretty much every single friday sometimes it comes out saturday sometimes it comes out sunday we're trying to fix that but we're releasing at least once a week ladies and gentlemen leave a review if you haven't already let's get to the conversation audio show a lots to hit on that you hit on Mm -hmm. you know i worked with a person i don't know if i've shared this story before my first job Never worked at was Walgreens. Okay. Worked there for years. Uh-huh. Enjoyed it. I would go back. It's one of the places where like I think about what I'm gonna do when I retire. It's like I want to be lost prevention, just a old man catching thieves. Or I would love to just work at Walgreens again because it's super fun. But um there was this woman. Her name was L V. Okay. I still remember her name. I'm pretty sure she's a Fort Worth police officer now. But she, uh, she, I don't remember what we were talking about. She was talking about like, you know, like going to church and sharing your stories. And she was like, all we have are our testimonies at the end of the day. That's what you have. Right. And she was like, you can take that religious or not, but all you have is your testimonies. Right. And I remember it being in the context of, she was talking about how it was interesting that in the Christian tradition, that it's a lot of testimonial style things, right? The gospels are essentially testimonies of what happened, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and our stories are like that. And I always think that's really funny and interesting because you were talking about how the your story, you know, where we, the common adage is like, we, you know, we're the, we're the main characters in our own stories and et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's the hardest thing to break away from, but it's also one of the strongest things to latch onto where like there's narratives in my life that have been very beneficial. There's also narratives in my life that have not been very beneficial. 
and it's hard to kind of break out of those. It's hard to kind of rewrite your story, so to speak, or rewrite your reality. But this is something that I think literacy does for young people is it gives them a perspective on their life to where, you know, you can write about a big event in your life and feel different as you're going through that writing. You could phrase it in a funny way, right? There's a lot of books out there. Uh, like, just, so there's an author named Jonathan Franzen. You may be familiar. He wrote The Corrections. He wrote Freedom. He wrote Purity. He's he's pretty good. I, uh, not my favorite, but I respect him a lot as a writer. But all of his books, every single one of them, if you go look at him, he's one of the most famous like novelists of our time. Uh, if you go look at him, he, all of them say like, oh, it's outrageously funny. It's so funny. Oh my God. It's so humorous. And there's interviews where he talks about saying, uh, he's like, you know, I never really sat down to write funny books. He was like, I think there's aspects in here that are funny, but he was like, I think they're kind of sad actually. And same for David Foster Wallace, who wrote Infinite Jest. Uh, he ended up, uh, dying by suicide. Um, but he has interviews where he talks about people saying infinite jest is such a funny book. It's hilarious. And he was like, honestly, I feel like it's just kind of quite sad. Like it's a sad book to me. So I think it's interesting how narrative story perspective is really fascinating. John Green, another author talks about how it took him a long time to realize that once his book is published and once it's out in the world, it's no longer his. Right. So when you're, when you're writing for yourself or when you're writing first, you're kind of writing for yourself, right? You're writing for what you want to read. You're writing your stories, you're writing this, but once someone else reads it, it no longer becomes yours. Someone takes it and feels a, a certain way about it. They have the narrative in their head and that's the magic of it. But it's also kind of the weirdness of writing is you never know how people are going to take things. And so I think this concept of working with kids, working with young people to just even actualize their voice, to put their truth on the page, whatever that truth is, whatever perspective, but really like, I feel like that's one level is getting them to write the next level to using their stories in a variety of ways is to go, okay, so how do we look at this in a different way? How do we share this story in a positive light, in a negative light, in an angry light, in a persuasive light, right? It's like it goes back to our multi-genre conversations we have all the time on the podcast, mm-hmm. which is I created something. What does this creation look like if I just change the lens a little bit? What happens if I add clarity? What happens if I change the color, right? And then all of a sudden you have this really in-depth switch but that's what that's what everything you said kind of in the intro reminded me of was just the the level that narrative story voice choice like all of that plays a role in in how we see ourselves so when we talk about like literacy is more than can you pass a test this is the definition of that being able to tell your story and being able to change your story is literally a literacy practice. You're just throwing things over there. <laughs> well, she was just playing with her cat. Oh, no. I had a passionate <laughs> 10 minute rant and she's and playing it was with her wonderful. cat. Wonderful. Hey, I, it was a wonderful rant. Wonderful. But 
my cat is like wanting me to be near her. And so I'm throwing stuff to get her away from me. Just keep the cat next to you. No, because here she comes. The story of my cat. That's why I called her Millie, because she Millie's around and it's always in my way. She's waiting for me to throw something else. Oh, I think I've trained her. Man. I think I've trained her to fetch without actually bringing it back. You did. But no, I I, I agree. I, I just think that um, in order to get those kids to write, because you talked about we got to get them writing. We got to we, we really need to allow them to find out ways in the classroom to let them recognize that their stories do matter and that their stories are important and that they're valid and they're relevant. And I think sometimes, and I'm guilty of this myself, my story's not um, worthy, if you will, of print. And so, or something like that. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you, you, we have this tendency to think, well, that's somebody over there, but really, and you know that you and I, we've, we've worked with um, a lot of students that are, from broken places, students from other countries, students who uh, have been, if you will, passed from foster home to foster home. And, you know, we've had some students that have had some pretty rough situations. And so because of the way they've experienced their life, I mean, they've got some heart wrenching, but they've got some deep, meaningful stories inside of them and to allow them to to give them and provide for them a safe place so that they feel comfortable and trust us enough right to write that down because the minute you you write you become extremely vulnerable i mean because entirely people are judging you i mean like you said once that that book is uh sent out Right. It's no longer your book, according to. And we've talked about Rose um, Rosenblatt. Right. Her comment was that it's the reader that makes meaning. The reader has their part in the story and it's how they bring their own experiences and their own memories and their own connections to that story that gives it a different perspective or a different life than maybe the writer even intended it to be. And so by um, so so. Which also makes us vulnerable because that, you know, what if they take it in a way that, you know, causes a judgment on you as a writer? So you got to learn to. So it makes it very difficult for these kids, especially in a day where people are bullying and putting stuff on social media that doesn't need to be there, especially our kids. You know that you you're a principal. You probably get to see all of that all the time. All day long. So, <laughs> so, so it's it's really difficult, I think to actually get the kids to trust the space because they need the space in order to, to write. And, and um, there was a, another presentation I went to this weekend and it was a, a Dr. Carol. It's not Dr. Carol Armstrong that I was talking about, but it's a, it's a Dr. Charles Carroll and he works uh, in our, in a college in our area but he he actually talked, and that's probably why the space is in my brain, but he he showed in his research, he's doing, I guess, in his research for his doctorates, he talked about the the spatial aspect of of learning and the fact that that we need safe spaces. We need a space 
um, not just, you know, because it's social, right? Writing is social. So you got that social aspect, you got that emotional aspect, but you also need a place and space in time and location and to feel comfortable enough to do the writing. So it's kind of, it's kind of interesting um, concept. He was like a little bit up there for me, but he's a professor. What I mean by that is I don't think I'm smart enough to actually have a conversation with him because he was, he was in that, the, you know, the theory realm, but it was really fascinating what he had to say about why we need to make these safe spaces for kids. And you do that by building trust. And so his whole thing, when he got to the practical side of it was, how do we build that place for our kids? And what do we need to do as teachers to do that? You know, you said something that I think is important to go back to. You said, uh, you were talking about this, the idea of writing being very personal, right? And it's always Mm -hmm. being judged and everything else. Imagine, if you will, classrooms across America, across the any country, Germany, Turkey, wherever, right? Mm-hmm. You're writing, and the only writing you ever do is writing you're told to do. And then that writing is immediately judged by the person that told you to write something. Oh, that's the world I grew up in. Ima- yeah. And so and- imagine that we're, so we're talking about identity. We're talking about the, how identity shows up in your words and your narratives and how you perceive everything. Um, when we talk about the need for kids to have choice and voice mm-hmm. and autonomy over their writing, We're talking about something far deeper than just uh, a a feel good thing, right? Because I feel like that's what this stuff gets pigeonholed into, right? When when people want to advocate against what we're talking about or against workshop or against um, a a more student-centered approach to writing instruction or even reading instruction, the biggest criticism is that, oh, you know, it's just... You know, it's our job to tell kids what to do, right? We're the adults. We're smarter. We know all of this. And it's like, I mean, sure, to an extent, but also no, because it's their reality. Literacy is so much about what's happening internally. And so if we are constantly in control of that, guess what happens? Kids disengage from writing. They disengage from reading. They're like, well, I have no... This is why so many people grow up and like, well, I can't write because they've never had pleasure in writing. It's the same thing of like why I never I didn't enjoy math until I had a summer school class where a math teacher made math relevant to what I cared about. He listened to me as an angsty teenager and he convinced me to use math and whatever I was talking about. And I was like, oh, I see how this would work now. He was the best math teacher I ever had. Uh, and it was a summer school math teacher, which is hilarious. Um, and I think that is something that gets overlooked so often is we get so frustrated with student motivation, with student engagement, with students wanting to do anything, but we very rarely go, you know, how much control am I taking away from them? Right. You don't care about things you don't control. Right. That's the whole thing. 
It's the, you might get frustrated at things you can't control, right? You might butt your head against things that you can't control. It might make you angry. It might make you sad to, for things to be outside of your control. But do you genuinely care about them? I would argue not really. You care about the things you can control. You care about the things that you put your hands on, that you build. Come back for part two next week.